Now, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 53 as our pastor Eugene prepares to teach from verses 7 through 12. You can follow along as I read, or if you'd like to read together with me, you may do that as well, beginning in verse 7 of Isaiah 53. appears that we don't have it on the screen, so let me just read it for you. Beginning of verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. Yet... It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, brothers and sisters. Good to uh, be bringing God's Word to you all this Easter morning. Uh, it's a joy to be able to uh, spend time with you all this Easter morning and pray that you all are well and that uh, God's Word would speak to us and encourage our hearts. Uh, let me pray for us as we come to God, God's Word together. Let's all, let's all pray. Dear Father, we thank you indeed that you are a gracious and merciful God. And we thank you that uh, the joy of celebrating Easter uh, is still here. We can still gather virtually to hear your word, to spend time with one another in song, in listening together. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts. Father, we pray that you would take your truth, plant it deep in us. We pray that your word would uh, take root and give us strength and comfort and courage. Father, in these difficult times, we acknowledge that we need you. We are especially dependent on your grace. And so we pray that you would fill us with uh, the hope of the gospel because Jesus is alive, he is risen indeed. And Father, we pray that he would be glorified as we hear your word together. We pray this in his name. Amen. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
Uh, this probably isn't the Easter Sunday we had hoped for or envisioned. I think many of us were looking forward to gathering with one another and celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. But instead, we find ourselves watching uh, a video at home apart from one another. You know, over the past number of weeks, I've, I've known a number of people who have had to defer their hopes in this season. I've heard of uh, weddings that have been postponed, uh, plans that have been uh, sort of rescheduled with uh, no postponement date set because everything is so uncertain. And you know, I know the past number of weeks, maybe even months, have been tiring for many of us. You know, I, for one, have missed the strengthening presence and fellowship of all of you. But before the circuit breaker measures came into force, uh, Claire and I visited a supermarket last week to stock up. And you know, I, I got to the supermarket and felt anxious just seeing the crowds of people who were waiting to enter the store and the crowds of people who were waiting to pay. You know, following the news has also made my heart heavier every day as I look at the number of infections in Singapore as well as in the world. I can feel the heaviness grow in my own heart. You know, just this past week, when the circuit breaker measures kicked in, uh, all of us have faced major disruptions to our lives as our schools and workplaces have closed. You know, we're hunkered down at home for what may be a prolonged period of time. Life feels uncertain, fragile, and it can be hard to look beyond our present circumstances when there is no clear end in sight. No one knows how long this will last. So we lament. We seek God's mercy. We cry out to Him, How long, O Lord? It is right for us to feel sorrow over the situation and we should talk to one another to share our burdens. So my encouragement to us during this difficult time is not to struggle or suffer in silence. So if you feel spiritually, emotionally, or mentally burdened, uh, call someone, send a message to someone, uh, talk with someone. Uh, as Pastor Ian mentioned earlier on, we have a, a prayer request form that you can fill up. And, and we love as pastors and elders to get in touch with you to see how we can encourage you during this difficult time. If you, are in a, if you are in a care group, speak with your care group members, speak with your care group leader. If you are uh, if, if you're just visiting us on online, uh, you, you can get in touch with us via the church website. There's some uh, contact emails that you can uh, also fill up uh, and, and get in touch with us as well. During this time of need, we as a church family want to be a safe place where we can bear one another's burdens. So let's take this time to, to really listen to and encourage one another. I want us to think about this question as, as we look at this text together this morning. What gives us hope in life and death? What gives us hope in life and death? Our earthly hopes may fade, our plans may fall through, but our heavenly hope shall never fail. So we can say, this too shall pass. And we can say, keep calm and carry on. Not because we are blindly optimistic, not because we are indulging in wishful thinking, but because we have a sure hope that ultimately all 
will be well. On Good Friday, we heard from the first half of Isaiah 53 about God's servant. We heard about how he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But praise God that the darkness of Good Friday is dispelled by the light of Resurrection Sunday. Death has been swallowed up by life and there is a crown before the cross. Friends, as we come to this text, I want us to realize that this text speaks of a servant and this servant is our hope that all things will finally be well. Amid the storms of life, we have an anchor for our hearts and souls. And this text gives us a word of comfort, encouragement, and hope. How do we know the resurrection is true? Well, one reason is 700 years before the coming of Jesus, 700 years before he died on the cross, 700 years before he rose from the dead, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words that foretold very clearly both the death as well as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection was no coincidence, it was no accident. The resurrection was God's plan. And he spoke of it many, many years before it happened. So we're going to look at this text in two parts. The suffering of the cross, followed by the triumph of the crown. So our text can be divided into two parts as well. The first, in verses 7 to 9, focuses on the servant's suffering. And the servant is no stranger to pain. He understands our grief because he carried our sorrows. And he isn't a passive observer to our suffering, but he is an active participant. He enters into our pain. And this is shocking because the servant didn't deserve to suffer. Isaiah tells us that he was innocent. He had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet the servant was oppressed which means he was treated unjustly. He was treated harshly. The servant suffered willingly as well. Not a word of protest came from his lips. He didn't selfishly cling on to his own interests, but he went humbly to his death. Isaiah tells us in verse 7, he went to the death like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The servant's life came to an abrupt, seemingly premature end. He was taken away, cut off, out of the land of the living. But why would the innocent servant suffer and die? I think we need to spend some, a bit of time just unpacking this a bit more. Why did the servant suffer and die? We need to know that God created all things. He made us to know him, to love him, to worship Him, to be in a loving relationship with Him as He knows us and, and helps us as well. But we have all rebelled against Him. and We have all lived our lives our way rather than God's way. Isaiah says in, in verse 6 of our text, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And in this passage, Isaiah uses three words to describe how we have turned away from God. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. 
sin refers to a missing of the mark. We fall short of God's glory. We, we fall short of who He is. So we were created to reflect His glory, and sin is falling short of that glory. So instead of glorifying God, we have lived our own ways and we have not glorified Him as we ought. Transgression refers to the breaking of a command. So very simply, we have not lived according to God's word. We have broken His laws. We have not obeyed. That's transgression. We have crossed the line. Uh, we have trespassed into areas that we ought not to trespass into. And then the third word that Isaiah uses is iniquity. Iniquity refers to uh, this inner disposition of our hearts, where our hearts are bent, our hearts are crooked, not straight. Iniquity refers to this crookedness that is in us. And I think the word iniquity is uh, a, a powerful word that describes sin as not just an external problem in our words or in our actions, but sin is an internal problem as well. Our hearts are also far from God. Just as a bad tree bears bad fruit, so we sin because we are sinners by nature, because our hearts have been turned away from God. And sin separates us from God who is perfectly holy, and we face His judgment because the righteous God cannot ignore sin. Indeed, if God were to do so, then He would no longer be good. A good God will not ignore sin. You know, over the past number of months, we have been rightly concerned about COVID-19. You know, this disease has brought disruption, devastation, and death to the whole world. But if all we want from Jesus is some temporal relief from the current crisis, then we are selling Jesus short. Because Isaiah 53 tells us that we face a greater, more deadly pandemic. The infection rate of this pandemic is 100%. There's none righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Not even one. And apart from God's mercy, the death rate of this pandemic is also 100%. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And the wages of sin is death. Friends, as concerned as we are of, about the current pandemic, the pandemic of sin is a far worse problem. And this is a pandemic that we all face, that none of us can escape from. In the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, God says this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, this, this is an intriguing passage in the Old Testament. It, it's a, it, it poses us uh, an intriguing question as, as we read this uh, these two verses, we, we learn about how God is gracious and merciful. And at the same time, we hear that he will by no means clear the guilty. And I think the question that this, these two verses pose to us is this. How can a holy God forgive sinners? 
How can a holy God forgive guilty sinners and still be righteous in judging sin? The answer, friends, is found in our text for today in Isaiah 53, in verses 8 and 12. Isaiah 53 says, The servant came to die for sinners like us. He was stricken for the transgression of my people. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah tells us that the servant fully satisfied the demands of God's justice by taking on himself the judgment that we deserved for our sins. The servant bore on himself the full weight of God's wrath. He took it in our place if we trust in him. And because of what the servant has done, God can be perfectly righteous to forgive us because the demands of his justice have been perfectly satisfied by what the servant has done. Now, this pandemic has made us more grateful for our health. So how much more thankful should we be for the servant who died that we might live? And the servant has set us free from the power of sin, from his guilt, and from his power over our lives. So if we have been saved by the servant, the call to us now is to live for him who died for us. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So Jesus died that we might live. And Jesus died that we might live now, today, for him and for his glory. And so we follow Jesus in the way of the cross by dying to ourselves daily. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, that the call to discipleship is a call to come and die. To die to ourselves, but uh, in, a, in a gospel logic kind of way, we die to ourselves, but we find life, life abundant, life eternal in the Son. And Jesus calls us to follow him in the lifestyle of repentance and faith as we continually turn away from ourselves and our sin, and we continually turn to him, trusting him, living for his glory. And Jesus promises to be with us as we live for him. And he says to us, don't be disheartened by these tough times. And he speaks a word of comfort to us and assures us that God is using even our trials to make us more like his son. And as we shall see in the next point, the cross leads to the crown. And one of my most favorite hymns is uh, this one, How Firm a Foundation. And there are these two stanzas in the hymn that I think really speak uh, to this point. It says, When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume, 
and I go to refine. Now this time, in this time of trials, I think God reminds us that we live for Jesus. And he's using these trials to consume our dross, to refine our goals so that we become more and more like Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let these words strengthen us and encourage us. But as I mentioned earlier, the cross leads to the crown. And that is our second point, the triumph of the crown. The second part of our passage in verses 10 to 12 focuses on the servant's triumph. His suffering was not accidental. It was God's plan and purpose for the servant to die for sinners. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You know, I want us to realize that the servant did not die in order to make God love us. No, the the servant died because God loves us. As it says in that familiar passage in John 3, God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son, Jesus. And amid the current crisis, as we struggle with trials, as we struggle with uncertainty, some of us may doubt God's goodness and faithfulness. Some of us may question his love. And as we wrestle with our fears and anxieties, look not to our circumstances for assurance and security. Look to the cross of Christ. There is no greater evidence of God's love for us. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How deep indeed is the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make his wretch, to make a wretch his treasure. And the servant triumphs by humbly submitting to God's will. He sacrificed himself in order to accomplish God's great salvation plan. Isaiah says in verse 10, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Not my will, not my will, but yours be done. Because the servant obeyed God, God raised him up. It says in chapter 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. The servant conquers by dying. He died in humiliation and shame. They made his grave with the wicked, but he has been raised in honor and glory. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And Jesus' resurrection is his enthronement as the all-conquering king. Jesus' resurrection is evidence, incontrovertible evidence that death does not get the last word. The servant does not suffer in vain. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And the servant's satisfaction is his victory over sin, death, and the devil. How do we sum up the message of Easter? This is a two-word summary 
of the message of Easter. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. This is the wonderful message of Easter. Jesus' resurrection is undeniable proof that he is victorious. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we can be sure that Jesus is strong to save. On Good Friday, in Pastor Ian's sermon, he talked about burging, basking in reflected glory. And I must say that I've been quite disappointed with the recent suspension caused by COVID-19. I mean, one of my disappointments has been you know, the, the team that I support in the English Premier League have not been able to, want to win the league yet. Uh, that's Liverpool. I've been supporting Liverpool this past season. And because of the suspension of the league, they haven't been able to win. Now, why is it so important to me that they win the league? I think it's because of Burging. I'm looking forward to basking in their glory as the supporter. When they rejoice, I also rejoice. When, when they boast of their triumph, I also boast of their triumph. Well, friends, the, the victorious servant shares the rewards of his victory with us. If we trust in him, he says this to us in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. I think we more than bask in his reflected glory, we, we share in true glory. We share in Jesus' glory. And Jesus shares his resurrection life with us. So we have spiritual life now, if we trust in him. And we can look forward to the day when our bodies will be raised with Christ in glory. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And God promises us that he will guard us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So even though our present may seem uncertain, our future, friends, is never in doubt. What are the rewards of the servant's victory? Isaiah tells us three things of the rewards that the servant shares with us. Firstly, the servant shall see his offspring. Who are his offspring? All who trust in him for salvation are his offspring. We become God's children through the servant. We are the offspring whom he sees. The servant knows us personally, individually, and he calls each one of us by name. We were strange sheep, but we have been brought home as beloved children. No longer are we spiritual orphans, but we now have a heavenly father and nothing Nothing can pluck us out of his loving hand. The servant shall prolong his days. He lives never to die again. Therefore, he is able to give eternal life to all who believe in him. In these anxious days, we worry about the future. We worry about our lives. We worry about getting sick. We worry about death. But the servant shall prolong his days and he shall prolong our days if we trust in him. Our hearts can be strengthened by this truth, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and we need not fear death, 
even if a virus takes away our life in this world, it can never take away our life in the world to come. And our confidence is founded not on ourselves, not on our circumstances, but our confidence is founded on how the servant makes us right with God. It says in verse 11, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Uh, the phrase accounted righteous simply means justified, declared right, made right. The servant gives us his righteousness. He covers our guilt and shame so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our guilt and shame, but instead he sees the righteousness of the servant covering us, clothing us so that we are no longer naked and exposed and ashamed before a holy God, but we are accepted, clothed, with the righteousness of Christ. Not because of anything we have done, but because of what the servant has done for us. And because we are clothed in the servant's righteousness, we can draw near to God, friends. In this time of crisis, in this time of need, we don't have to feel that God is far away. We can draw near to him with full assurance of faith. And because Christ has given us peace with God, not just a feeling of peace, but real peace, Objective peace, peace, can, that, peace can, that can never be taken away. And because Christ has given us peace with God, we can have joy even in these tough times. Friends, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is our hope in life and death. And even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death in this world, we can continue to have hope, a hope that can never fade away. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die and to rise again. The way of the cross leads us to the glory of the crown. You know, I began the sermon quoting from Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But it's interesting to know what the verse goes on to say. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And when Jesus fulfills our desire, he is our life. Friends, is he our only hope in life and death? Is Jesus the desire of our hearts? Jesus wins. This is the good news of Easter. And because he wins, he calls us now, today, to trust him, to hope in him. For only he can truly satisfy and give us life. Only he can fulfill the deepest longings of our hearts. Our hope is alive because our Lord is alive. He will swallow up death forever. He will wipe away all our tears. So friends, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. We too can take up our crosses for the joy of life that's been set before us. So press on, friends. Trust in Christ. Hope in him. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, as we come to you now, we thank you and praise you for the gift of your son. We thank you that you have 
given him for us and for our salvation. You did not spare him, but you delivered him up so that we can be forgiven, so that we can receive life and be made right with you. And Father, we pray that as we consider the good news of Easter, as we, consider, as we consider this message that Jesus wins, help us to turn away from ourselves, help us to die to ourselves, and to turn to your Son, to trust in him, to hope in him. Father, these reflection questions are what we want to reflect on now in this moment. So Father, we pray that you would help us to consider these questions honestly before you. Help us to think upon these questions and to reflect on the truth that we have heard from your word and help us to respond to you now with hearts renewed by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to consider how the current crisis has affected our hearts. Help us to think about ways we can bear someone else's burdens and also share our burdens with others. Father, help us to meditate on the truth of the cross. Help us to think about how the cross is able to give us strength and courage to live for Jesus today. He died that we might live. Father, help us to come honestly before you and to ask this question, where do I place my hope? Have I been hoping on things that cannot stand in this transient world? Have I been setting my hopes on things that this crisis have shaken? What would it mean for me to live every day in the hope of Christ and His resurrection? Father, as we come to you now, we confess indeed that our faith is frail. Father, we thank you that our standing with you, our security, our assurance does not depend on our faith, but it rests in you and in your Son. And so, Father, we come, we cry out to you, help us, Lord. Help us to know Jesus, to trust him. Help us to praise him. He is our life. He is our hope. We come to you because Jesus, we pray this in his name. Amen.